Amen. Good morning. Morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. Again, my name is Paul, one of the leaders here. Great to see if you're new or even if you're visiting today. Really, really good to, to see you. Um, I want to extend that thank you as well. You guys are doing a great job putting things together and making things work, so well done. And then three chords, they were well used over those five years. I think I progressed to maybe four slash five chords as well, but there you go. And Michael come along and he just politely asked me to leave. Is that right, Michael? <laughs> if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're in verse 12, 12, sorry, 12, 12 to 4, 1. So Philippians chapter, chapter 3, verse 12. I'll read it and then I'm going to pray together. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, you are a wonderful father. You are a wonderful God. We thank you so much for this blessing. We thank you for this privilege that we, your people, your children, your family can gather here united by your spirit through your son into your very presence. Father, you are here. Help us to believe that this morning. Help us to believe that you are present and with us and that you love us. And Father, I just pray as your word is read and opened, that Father, you would bless us, that you would keep us, that you would make your face shine upon us this morning, we ask. In your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're in a letter which is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church in Philippi. And this is a letter which has just got the, a deep affection all over it. So Paul has a real deep affection for the people of, of, of the church of Philippi. And this word brothers, that's actually a Delphoi. It's a familial term. It means brothers and sisters. So he's talking to family. He says it three times, at the start, in the middle, and at the end. And then the actual, the last word of today's passage is beloved. Paul has a deep affection to these people. Real deep affection. And he's just told them the most amazing truth. We looked at it last, last week in verse 10. He told them that you're made right because of your faith in Christ. That, that you get to know God in Christ. And he is of surpassing worth and infinite beauty. He told them that, that they've been raised from death to life. And that they have a new hope, a new purpose. He told them that they would be transformed to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what he does, he looks to the future when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. 
And he says, we'll be resurrected physically. And today, Paul, he carries on this point. And he moves it forward, a bit like, you know, the, um, there's a few younger people in here, but I don't know if you remember vinyl, like the records, you know, they'd spin around. And as he, so Paul's playing the same tune, but like the, the vinyl, what had happened? It played the same line, the same melodic line. It returned back to the same place. Looks like it's in the same place, but actually the song has moved forward. The drum beat, the melodic line, the tune, it's all there. The song has moved forward. So Paul is, is, is playing this song, the same melodic line, but is moving forward his point. So what does he say? Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul, what he's saying, he's saying that this world's broken. The world's not perfect. I'm not perfect yet, but this is where God has us. Some people think there was a, a kind of like bit of a funky teaching going on, a misunderstanding of the end time. Because the Bible's clear that when Jesus Christ returns, that's when all things will be made perfect. So believers, now we've been raised from death to life spiritually, but not physically. We feel that, don't we? But some are teaching that that future reality is actually a reality for now. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's the future. I haven't attained it. But he goes on to answer the question, how do I live in this broken world now? And what he says as he moves it forward is, I press on. What he means is, is I pursue, it's actually a hunting turn. So I press on, I pursue with his eyes on the prize, fixing his gaze, a dogged determination to press on. He gives us his reason and his motivation, which is that he presses on because he is Christ's. Christ has made him his own. Anyone who calls upon the, the name of Christ, listen to that truth. Christ has made you his own. Paul is saying he's got a new identity. He's gone from rebellious, a sinner, a rejected of God, a Pharisee, to a child of God in Christ, claimed by God himself. So his allegiance is now to Christ. And because of that, he presses on. But what does it look like to press on? How, how does this happen? Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, he knows that the fullness of our relationship with God has not yet come. There is more. And what lies behind, I, I think here is, is all to do with confidence in the flesh that we looked at last, last week. That he has earned, he hasn't earned right standing with God. He can't earn right standing with God. But he has been given right standing with God by grace. So Paul is motivated by grace. He has a, a changed life. A changed allegiance. He's a new creation. He has freedom in Christ. And so his whole life, his whole existence has changed because of Christ. And if that is true, if that is true, that logically changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Our life direction, our life choices, our perception of the world, our perception of what we see going on around us, our perception of a pandemic, all of those things what you live by, what drives you, everything changes. So Paul is saying he's not held back, like he explained last, by, he's, last week. He's not held back by proving himself. He's not held back by seeking assurance. He's not held back by people fearing. He's not held back by shame and by guilt. There's no weight around him, around his neck that's pulling him down, reminding him of his past and his failings. He's letting go of all that. He is saying, for freedom Christ has set me free. I'm going to stand firm and I'm not going to submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
So forgetting what lies behind, he strains, he says, forward. He's pressing on to what lies ahead. And that word calling that he uses in that verse is is the moment of him being saved. The calling of the Father through the Son by the Spirit. The moment when God made Paul his own. Paul knows that the fullness of that moment will be experienced at the end of time. That's when he's going to receive a prize. That's the the phrase he used. But Paul is saying that that he's actually living his life now in in a way which is shaped by that future reality. So that future reality, that future truth shapes the present reality. That prize shapes the process of him walking through life. And so he's straining forward. That straining forward is an image from athletics. You know, when you, you lean forward close to the, the finish line. Paul is basically saying, I'm giving everything for this cause. Single-minded determination, focus. Running this race with every ounce of energy that I have. His eyes fixed on the finish line. His eyes fixed on the destination. A straight line, not deviating from the track. Not allowing distractions to pull him away, but straining forward for the glory of God. So many periphery things, they creep in, don't they, and distract us. Or sometimes the gospel, it just becomes an addition to life. We kind of treat it almost like a little app on our phone that we can just click on and click on and click off. But the gospel, it's not additional. The gospel is transformational. It's underpinning. It's motivating, it's driving, it shapes everything. Paul is saying the right effect of these truths is the transformation of all of life. So the prize will inform the process. And in verse 15, he actually says that's how we should think. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He says, those of us who are mature, he's talking about mature in the faith, who understand the gospel, apply the gospel, live in, in, in repentance and faith. And I think it's quite challenging this because we, we kind of read that and we're like, okay, I'm a mature. Should I be asking that? It's a good thing. Well, it's a good thing. We know that. We actually want maturity in this sense. We want gospel-centered maturity. Someone actually said to, to me and my wife recently, uh, Bonnie here, she she said this, that the Christian life is a process of God maturing us. I just love that. The Christian life is a process of God maturing us. That's what it is. God takes the circumstances, the situations, our experience, everything that is going around us, and he matures us. The Philippians, they will have wanted to be mature, to move forward in repentance and faith. That's what Paul is saying. Look, these truths affect how we think. So, let me ask this question. Do you think this way does your allegiance to Christ shape all your thinking does your freedom in Christ shape all your thinking does your purpose in Christ shape all your thinking does God's power and authority shape all your thinking there's a a Bible teacher over in America he's actually from Canada called Don Carson who has this phrase he, he said a few years ago you are what you think you are what you think. What you're saying is you will see your thinking taking shape in your life. So what you believe and think will actually appear in some form in your life. It will take effect in your priorities. How you steward the things that God has given you to use. Who you choose to spend time with. How you spend time with those people. 
But if you're struggling in this area, how do you do this? See, the world will tell you that's just the way you are. You can't change the way you think. That's who you are. And that's a lie. That's a lie. You can change the way you think. Romans 12 verse 3 tells us that God has renewed our mind and God is renewing our mind. Colossians that we heard at the beginning tells us that we're to set our mind on the things above, the things of God. Now let me just lay this, this down here and just share. Some of you might know this. Some of you are new here, so you won't know this. But this is an area that I personally have really struggled in. A thought life, my own head, what goes on inside my head. I had real issues of, of identity all my life, not knowing who I was, not knowing where I, I fit in. As a teenager, in my 20s, in my 30s, not knowing where I fit in. Even, folk, can I say this, I've been part of this church for 11 years, even in church, an internal battle. And might I say this as well, even as a pastor, where do I fit in? Who am I? How do I be in this place? What does this look like? And in my head, there were negative, I, I struggle this way, negative, destructive thoughts. Critical thoughts which are toxic, like crashing symbols in my head, like a whirlwind that just won't stop. And I've built this up for 40 years. Patterns which have been set in my head, ways of thinking which have just become reflexes that I go to, that I turn to, that just happen. Four decades of bad habits, bad thinking. But God in his grace has and is showing me how to change the way I think. He's showing me that I can be health, healthy in this area. He's showing me that there is hope. I might, and I'm really proud of this phrase, I coined it this week as I was planning this sermon, I might think with a limp, okay? I might think with a limp, but health is heading in the right direction. I went for a walk a few weeks ago. Do you know when we had that? Um, it was lovely weather, but it was cold. Went through like a bit of a cold snap. Sky was blue. Temperature dropped down to one or two degrees. And I used to, I go out for a walk on the Mystery, which is the park, just the other side of Wavetree there. And I take the dog out. And the sun was coming up really early in the morning. And I love the Mystery because it's just this big open space of green. Not many people like it for that reason, but I just love this big, huge open space of just green. But it was green apart from one patch. And it was one patch which was covered in frost. And it was covered in frost because it was in the shade of a tree. So the sun was really low. So the, the sun had not yet touched that part of the grass. How did that frost go? See, when the sun hits it, the rays, the warmth of the sun just melts it. Just melts it. It's the same with our thoughts. Folks, I need to say this. If you struggle in this area, please know we are not a church of, of people who have got it all together. We're not. Let's do away with the shame that can be experienced in this area, specifically around the areas of thinking or emotional health. We are all about Jesus. We need Jesus, every single one of us. We are a people who carry limps in every part of life. Let's face it head on with God. Might I say, folks, from speaking to you and knowing you and being amongst you and hearing you, there are many people here who think with a limp, but who are, by the grace of God, being shaped in his grace and mercy. See, the key here is that there are parts of our thinking which are like the ground covered by that tree, the areas of shade, the frost. 
So how do you start to think rightly if that is what is going on inside? And the key is to turn to God. That's the beginning of mature thinking. So as we turn to God, we let his grace, his mercy, the the warmth of his power, the warmth of his love, the warmth of his affection, the, the rays of his grace and his goodness just melt away those things. So folks, can I encourage you, please? Sure. If that is you and you've not told anyone and you are having an eternal wrestle, there are people here who would love to walk that through with you. If you're in a gospel community, share it with your gospel community. If you're not in one, you need to be around God's people. There are people that is a family that we can put you in who will walk with you from now until the end of your days if that is what God wills. Please come, step in, share with your GC, share with someone in your GC. Share by beginning each day in setting your mind on the things of God. We as believers, the Bible tells me this. This is God's word. God actually tells us that we live in a realm of grace. The air we breathe is grace itself. Everything around us as believers is grace. Everything. Ask that God each day would show you all the grace that surrounds you. That's mature thinking. We don't ever grow away from that. We grow more into that to see that God is pouring out grace upon grace to his people. We're talking about it in GC. We're talking in this week, our gospel community. We're talking about it's like putting grace glasses on. Over four decades, I've become very aware of spotting the negative things and being critical in a lot of different areas. I've trained myself to spot it in my head. I've got to retrain. I need God's help to actually put those grace glasses on because I need to see all the grace that is around me. And by God's grace, he is doing it. So it is an invitation. Assess your thinking in honesty and vulnerability. Bring it to God. Share it with God's people. And then we see how this takes shape in their lives. How their thinking is displayed. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, big claim, Imitate me and imitate the, those around who walk rightly. See, walk in this context as he's talking here is the conduct in life. It's people whose lives have a, a clear Jesus shape to them. People who, a few weeks, uh, about six, seven months ago, we were doing a devotional and Mr. Taylor, one of our leaders here, was speaking about growing up and he's brought up in Liverpool but had family in Scotland and he'd go and see his family in Scotland and when he got there, the family, it was his grand, granddad and his, and his uncle was a, a sheep farmer. He said in his memory of seeing his granddad and his uncle was that every time they walked in the room, they would smell of the sheep. He would get that smell. And he used to love it. He used to love it because it took him there. It reminded him of things. That actually really affected me over lockdown in the sense of Jesus smells of the sheep. You know, this is God himself. He smells of the sheep. I want to smell of the sheep and I want to smell of the shepherd as well. You know, there's that kind of idea of being around. You just get a feel for the environments around people. And this is what Paul, I think, is drawing our, our eyes to. People whose lives have a clear Jesus shape to them. The smell of the shepherd, the smell of the sheep. See, folks, we're all imitators. Children naturally are imitators. Don't think we're not as adults. We are. We're being shaped by external influences. You don't believe me, the advertising industry, advertising industry is built on it in a consumer society. Multi-billion dollar, dollar, pound industry. See, we are all imitating someone and we are all being imitated. The question actually 
isn't, am I or not? The question is, who are you imitating? Paul is actually saying, let's not just put it to one side and pretend it's not happening. Okay, this is happening. You are imitating someone or something. He says, look around. Look around. Be proactive in this. Who around you is living for Christ? Who around you is displaying mature thinking? He says it to the Philippian church, and this is God's word that speaks down. I think this is a word for us as well. Cornerstone Church, Liverpool. Who around you should you look to to imitate and see? That's a life that is imitating Christ. Not what the culture says. Success or richness or popularity or looks. But what the gospel says. So think in your life. Who? Who is pushing through fear to serve God and others? Whose lives display resurrection hope? Who is living, speaking, being employed, serving in the home, outside of the home, in such a way that is countercultural that their very lives just provoke questions from the people around them? Whose lives display assurance in Christ? What would that look like? These aren't easy questions to answer, and I'm asking you to actually think that through. What would that look like? Whose lives display an identity in Christ, a confidence in Christ and what he has done? What would that look like? Whose lives display a security in Christ? Whose lives imitate Christ in love, sacrifice, and service? Have that Jesus shape about them. Have that Jesus smell about them when you're around them. Paul is saying, imitate them, follow them, because that's where life is. That's where growth is. That's where maturity is. That's where health is. That's where blessing is in relationship with God, serving others. But then in verse 18 to 19, he says there's a different path. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul is, is in tears. He's, he's like a grieving. There's a sadness. Why? Because people have rejected God. He actually uses a phrase, they're, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. So th this could be the, the, Judaizers that we, the Judaizers that we talked about last week. But the Romans, the Greeks, the Jews, they were all the same. And that the cross didn't make, it didn't make sense to them. The cross was actually a symbol of weakness and folly. It was something to be ridiculed. A powerful king wouldn't die on a cross. That's not how God would work. But that's totally misunderstanding why Jesus came and who he is. Paul was the flip side. He was confident in the cross of Christ. In fact, he went as far as to say that he would boast in the cross of Christ. See, they were trusting in other things to make them right before God and to give them satisfaction and fulfillment in life. But to trust in other things makes you an enemy of the cross. And Paul, he's grieving. He's actually heartbroken to the point of tears because of what that means for them. Do we feel that, folks? Do we actually genuinely feel that as a response in our soul? See, if you're not a believer here today, you're going to hear from this place every week, through who we are and what we do, you're going to hear about the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we tell you this truth about Jesus Christ not to make ourselves feel better. We don't tell you this truth about the Lord Jesus Christ to put you in an awkward position. That's not why we do it. We tell you this, folks, because we love you. 
We tell you this because we have the greatest news ever to share because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's a free offer of being right before God in him. That's why we tell you. And we tell you because we fear for you if you reject that truth. Verse 19 is really clear. The end is destruction. The judgment of God or the judgment before God for all eternity. I don't know if you've watched the, um, any of the George Floyd stuff in the trial this week, but the guy, the police officer who killed him was a guy called Derek Chauvin. I think that's how you, you pronounce it. He was sentenced this week and, and a short video, three minutes, um, went around social media showing the moment where the judge read out the verdict and he was found guilty. But the camera was focused purely on him. He had a mask on. So all you could see were his eyes. And the judge read out these three counts of murder, um, second degree murder and manslaughter, I think it was. And he read it out. And after he read it out, he was guilty. And you could see his eyes at the start. And the more that this verdict came, the more the reminder of what he had done. And then the next verdict came. The realization of the consequences, the realization of the punishment, the realization of the guilt. You could see it in his mind as his, as his eyes were, were twitching back and forth. This man's life, the realization of the verdict, was written all over his eyes. A guilty man. See, without Christ, you will stand before God and give an account for everything. Every thought, every word, every desire, everything you've ever done and said before God. And without Christ, the verdict will be guilty. The end will be destruction. Folks, turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. He says their God is their belly. That's what Paul is saying to them. He's describing what, what this would look like. A, a life in the now, a life lived for now, your best life now. Get what you want. Get what you want now. Driven by, by greed and pleasure. The, the, just this urgings that the drive us to do and be something. I take my um, dog for a, a walk really early on a Sunday morning and I just do it around the roads down Smithdown and back by Greenbank. She's normally really good when she's walking with me early on because there's not much distraction. She's only a pup. She can be off her head at times. But she's walking along next to me and I've got the lead and she's just strolling along fine. The, the lead's just dangling down by my side until I get down to a subway at Allerton Road, where all the wrappers are and the food smells are coming. And she's pulling away at the least. She's pulling, trying to get to things. Get down by Tesco with all the drop-ins and there's like beer bottles and cans and she's pulling away and then it goes slack again. I get down to Greenbank where everyone's just left all the picnics and the, the stuff by there. But she's pulling away, just urging, driven. Got to get over there. Got to get to this next thing. I've got to have some of that. They glory in their shame. People who say living this way is not something to be ashamed of. God is ridiculed. God is pushed to one side. The creatures, the one who created them, say, we don't care. Rebellious lives even boasted about before God without a realization that they are destroying themselves and taking others with them. Their minds set on earthly things. Their minds set on the here and now. Cars or houses or gardens or money or looks or clothes, ambitions, jobs, reputation, all of these things. Do you see the difference that Paul is presenting? Please do not waste your life for the things that don't ultimately matter. Turn to Christ now. See, we get this, don't we? I'm hoping Paul is not saying that actually we're better than these people. Every single one of us has been in the position of rejecting God. We need God. 
And we should feel that emotion deep in our heart. When people are rejecting God. This was a reality to me, to, reality to me a few weeks ago. Someone really close to me shared with me that, they, that they'd been brought up in, in the faith. Uh, someone in my family had been brought up in the faith and told me that they, they didn't believe that anymore. Didn't want to believe it. Highlighted it was actually stupid and said that he wanted to live for something else now. To live for the now. To live for this moment. I broke my heart. I spent many a day crying because he's someone really close to me. Really close. And do you know what? As I'm thinking on this, thinking on these words, that is someone who's so close and it breaks my heart. But my neighbor, my community, the people around us is the same. Do our hearts break for the people that we see? Do our hearts break for the people of this city? Do our hearts break for the people around us who don't know the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our hearts should be broken. Let's pray, Cornerstone Church, that our hearts will break for those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 20, Paul takes our minds back to who we are. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are citizens of heaven, Paul is saying. See, for the Philippians here, it would have been a real battle for identity because Philippi was a, it was a Roman colony. And as a Roman colony they, would have, colony, they would have special privileges and blessings and responsibilities of being Roman. They would be under the authority of Caesar, this kind of godlike figure who was referred to across the empire as saviour. So Paul, in writing this and the language that he chooses to use here, is chosen. He knows what he's doing. He's saying you're citizens of heaven. That's who you are. That's your primary identity. That shapes your life. So you know being a Roman citizen has blessing and privilege and power. Now let me tell you that you are a citizen of heaven. Infinitely better. And Jesus Christ, he is the saviour. Not Caesar. Jesus Christ is the saviour. See, we read this and we can just glance over these words and not think too much of them, but the impact of this for the Philippians, reading those lines, that very verse there would have been huge. The ramifications would have been massive. The effect of not only believing this, but then having to live out and proclaim this was huge. There's an old preacher called Edmund Clowney who gets presented a lot in like teaching classes. And he's got a, a, famous, a famous phrase where he says this, preach Jesus Christ as the text, as, as what we're seeing here, present him. Preach Jesus Christ as the text, present him. There is a simplicity here in Philippians in the way that Paul presents Christ. He presents him as ruler. He presents him as savior. He presents him as the authority. He presents him as king. He presents him as the one who is over all things, including the most powerful man on the earth. Caesar, who was this huge figure at this time, but as we look back, he's gone thousands of years ago. But Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's a sovereign Lord. He was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He rules over every moment in history, the past, the present, the future. He rules and reigns over every living thing who has ever been. He has the power of God. He is the creator and sustainer of life. And he uses that power to do something miraculous to you. That is what Paul is saying to the Philippians. And that is what God is saying to us. 
He's going to raise you from death to life. He's going to transform your lowly body, this earthly decaying body that we live in, to be like his glorious body. That's our destination, folks. That's what Paul is leaning towards. That's what Paul is straining towards. I don't know if you've, if you've noticed, Cornerstone Church, Liverpool, if I could just talk to you for one second. If you've been coming for four weeks, for the past four weeks, I don't know if you noticed, it struck me as I was doing this preparation. Every week for four weeks, it's been about the resurrection. I don't know if you've noticed that. God's saying something to us. He is. Four out of four weeks about the resurrection. God's saying something to us. Go away and pray about it. What's he saying to you through this? I don't know, but I think that he's saying that he's fixed this brokenness, that there is hope in this. There is hope in him. There is a perfect reality to come in all this stuff that we are experiencing, all this brokenness that we've experienced, and all the stuff we've experienced in our past, past, and all the stuff we're experiencing now in our bodies, in our minds, in our relationships, in our settings, all the brokenness we see in our jobs, in our families, all the brokenness that just seems to seep into us. He's saying there is hope. And this truth brings confidence. We used that phrase last week, and I think this can be pulled into this because this hope, this truth brings confidence. And it brings confidence to those at the far end of the suffering, of people with cancer. I spoke to a, a, an older gentleman who's been diagnosed with terminal cancer last week. There's a passage like this that can give hope. We have people with arthritis, debilitating pain, people with mobility issues. We have people with blindness. We have people with brain difficulties, extreme mental health, memory issues, all of which we have among us. So this is comforting. These passages are comforting. The reality of where we are heading towards. But it is also for everyone just struggling with life in this decaying world. Sore teeth. Bad back. No, last Tuesday, I, I went to pick up, I went to take my... Um, daughter who's here, 11 years old, to play football down in a, a park down in Mossley Hill and there was a tree had been cut up so I picked up a log because I thought it'd be good for a seat in the yard, put my neck out and for the past five days I've not been able to feel my arm move my neck if I get over here and I'm looking like this, I'm not a weirdo I'm just trying to turn around and say I can't actually move my neck I can't feel my fingers it's just weird, that's rubbish isn't it it's rubbish, we all feel that in different ways it's long COVID stuff. The fact that we need a vaccine, a global vaccine to fight a disease that's just suddenly appeared last year. Anxiety, stresses. Folks, God has put it right. Our ultimate destination is different to our broken present reality. Therefore, my brothers, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is a message of love, affection and hope, a rally cry to the family of God, who Paul loves, who Paul takes great joy in, who he says on that last day, I will see and rejoice all the more because you are there, you're my crown. Stand firm in the Lord. He's saying this brokenness is real. But more importantly, folks, this truth is real. Christ is real. He has made you his own. He'll never let go. You're his. You're a child of God. 
That's whether or not you came to faith 60 years ago, whether or not you came to faith six months ago, whether or not you came to faith one month ago, whether or not you've been here for 50 years, whether or not this is your very first time today, you're a child of God if you believe in Jesus and he will never let you go. So press on, forget all the lies behind because he has put you right. Leave the shame, leave the guilt, leave your old ways behind you and strain forward. Single-minded, focused, eyes on the prize of that future perfect reality that he's given you in Christ. Your mind set on the things of God, shaped by the truth of the gospel, imitating those who live for the glory of God and the good of others around you. Hearts broken because of people's rejection of God. Living out as citizens of heaven, citizens of King Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who will transform, transform your broken, decaying body into a perfect body fit for eternity. Stand firm, beloved in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are such a good God, such a loving Father, such a caring Father. Thank you for these words that speak into the brokenness that we experience. I pray by your spirit today, right now, right here, that we, your people, would hear this, that we wouldn't just let these words just pass over and pass through and be gone. But, Father, we would hear these truths about what you have done in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see he who has surpassing worth. Father, help us in the midst of our broken thinking, our broken bodies, our broken world to turn to him and to rejoice because of what you have put ahead of us. Father, in our resurrected souls, I pray that we too would see that in the future we're going to have resurrected bodies, that you're making all things new. Father, I just pray for people here today who might be struggling, maybe struggling like I am, Father, and have been in areas of emotional, mental difficulties. Father, I pray would you, would you bless them. I pray that this will be a church and we will be a family where it's okay for people to be honest and vulnerable. It's okay for people to step out and seek help, that we will be a church that offers up the help that you give, which is your goodness and your grace. Father, for people who walk with a limp, who think with a limp, who are walking in any way, any part of life, the Father, we will be a church that reaches out with the arms of Jesus, pointing to the goodness and the grace that you've given us. You're such a good, good God. Father, I pray that we, your people, would display that love, that goodness, that grace to one another. I pray that we do it this week. I pray that we do it in gospel communities. Father, I pray that people who maybe come today for the first time or we don't know father i pray that they would see here that this is a place they can be safe that this is a place that they can be honest help us by your spirit to be people who walk that way i pray father we rejoice again for new life and father i pray for those who don't yet know you help us deep within our hearts deep within our souls father to be moved with tears because of those who were rejecting you. Father, help us to keep holding out the goodness of Christ, the people we love dearly.